Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever and wherever it is that you're listening to us. We want to thank you in advance. We as fans have always appreciated your input as fellow fans. When you're happy, we're happy. When you're upset, we are too. But sometimes we're just a little bit more honest. We are the Bastards of Boston Baseball. You can find us on Twitter at Bastards underscore Boston. I am your host, Charlie Smith, coming to you from Providence, Rhode Island. You can find me on Twitter at Smith underscore MLB. Our other hosts for this episode are Terry Cushman, coming to us from Myrtle Beach in South Carolina by way of Wyndham, Maine, and Cody Paulson coming to us from Houston, Texas by way of Ponte Vedra, Florida. Cody, how are you, and where can the fans find you on Twitter? Hey, everybody. Excited to be here. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at the Cody Paulson. Come yell at me. Come interact with me. Let's have a conversation. Always, uh, always down to chop it up. Right on. Everything good? Well, I'm here talking to you guys. Everything's great. Fantastic. Right on. And Terry, where can the fans find you and how are things going in your neck of the woods? Doing all right. I can be found at Cushman MLB. And uh, it's been a pretty tame season uh, as far as the hate and the DMs go. But yeah, everything's good. Uh, we've got what? Tonight's Monday for the listening audience. So Tuesday for you guys. But we're getting our first taste this week because the World Series doesn't start till Friday. And so this is like we're, we got an extended stretch here without baseball. So <laughs> something we better get used to after the next, uh, I don't know, week and a half beyond Friday. It's kind of depressing. I didn't mean to open that way especially after that intense pre-show we had on subjects we will not uh, disclose on here. How are you, Charlie? Anyways, I'm doing okay. I'm doing all right. Uh, but, you know, similar to what you're saying, I'm going to echo those sentiments that it's been kind of a weird, it's been kind of a weird playoff series. And, and we're going to get into that with one of our first topics, just based on who's running the show and who's pulling the strings. You know, I wish we had the, the puppeteer that's doing some some work in a, in another in another team on a different division. But the first topic that we have, uh, Terry, and I'm going to let you take it away, is Dombrowski versus Chaim Bloom and Chaim Bloom's fan base in relation to how one has done over the other and the success that both have had. What are what are some things that are on your mind? What are some things that you'd like to chat about? Well, what if I told you in the year 2020, that was Bloom's first year with the Red Sox. That was when Mookie was packing his bags and going to the other coast. What if I told you Dave Dombrowski, who doesn't have a baseball job at the moment, would make it not only get a job within the next year, but make it to the World Series Faster than Heim Bloom did. What if I told you that? What would your reaction be? And by the way, with a team that hasn't gone to the postseason since 2010. Cody, do you want to answer first? Yeah, I mean, it's easy to to look at things hindsight 2020, right? I mean, Dombrowski's obviously had a great track record as as a GM. He's, you know, one general manager of the year. He's gotten teams over the top for sure. Um, you know, but there's also a reason that he's been, you know, as 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 at many stops as he has been. Um, 
you know, he's, he's a finisher. He's a closer. If you want to call it right, you bring a team in, um, he'll make a couple of deals. He'll get you over the top. He'll get you that friend. Uh, that was, he would, that was what he was advertised as when we brought him into Boston and, and he delivered, right. He makes those trades. He makes those signings. He makes those deals. But at the same time, you know, you got to look at it in, in the same vein as you do in college football, right? You'll have a guy, he'll, he'll come in, he'll bring you to, you know, the promised land per se. And then the culture is a wreck by the time that he leaves. And the next guy that comes in has to deal with kind of putting the pieces back together, building it back up, um, you know, replenishing the farm system. We've heard it a, a million times, but the, the culture also has to be changed. Right. And, and there's a lot that Heimblum had to do beyond just building the roster in order to, to deem a successful tenure here in, in Boston. Um, I don't, you know, I'm not necessarily all the way in, you know, the Bluminati as they call it, but I'm not all the way out either. Um, you know, three years is, is kind of that term that you give a head coach in, in college football. I'm willing to be a little bit more patient in baseball because it's, it's a little bit harder uh, of a game, right? In, in college football, if you can get a good quarterback and get a couple of, you know, four or five stars, you're, you're cooking with something. In baseball, it's not that easy. Every time we do an MLB draft, every time we do, you know, uh, a signing of a position player below positional value, you know, we are, we're singing the praises of Heim Bloom, right? Um, um, I'm more willing to, to give him a couple more chances, you know, maybe, you know, if Erod doesn't tap his wrist, you know, what does last year look like, right? If we close out Houston and we go to the world series, are, are people more happy with Heim just because we ended up making it to the series and, and, and clinch the pennant, you know, hindsight's always 2020. I don't think we necessarily need to, to view it one against the other Philadelphia was, was a team that was close. They had good pitching. They had a good bullpen. They had good bats. They just needed to be the one that wanted to make the decision to go out to get those splashy free agents. And, and Dombrowski's your guy to do that. Charlie, what are your thoughts? I mean, what it's, what it's going to come down to is what Terry just talked about is you have a guy who's been in Philadelphia for almost two full seasons because we're, we're still in the playoffs for one and they got all the way to the dance. So Dombrowski in two shots is already there. Hyam Bloom almost got there last year, but fluffed because that team had no business being there. That, that team that they had together in 2021 was not good. And we got completely exposed in 2022. I mean, they won eight more games than we did. And people are going to say, oh, no, they barely were better than the Red Sox. They were eons better than the Red Sox, and it wasn't even funny. But the problem is you have Chaim Bloom as the main man with the plan at the helm of the Boston Red Sox trying to run this team like it's the Tampa Bay Rays. And it's just not working. You cannot be the president of baseball operations the GM of operations, whatever you want to call it, and not spend money in Boston. It just doesn't work. It can't work. And you're seeing full on, like full power, what happens when you do these like cheap three, four, five million dollar additions. It does not work. And there's a couple of names that we may talk about this evening, and I'm sure other names will pop up. But Paxton didn't throw a pitch. Millions of dollars allocated to someone who is definitely not going to opt in. And if he does, he's an idiot. And we're stupid for even considering that contract. 
because he's probably going to get injured at some point next year. Chaim Bloom has had moments of brilliance where I, I think about the, you know, people can say what they want, additions of Kike Hernandez making a career platoon backup guy into a full-time starter work. I'm going to give him credit for that one, even though it has been moments of, of ugly. And then you have Mr. Yankee, who never got a chance, who joins the Red Sox in Garrett Whitlock. Those have been the two saving graces for, for High and Bloom. Trevor Story did not work out. He's made one big offseason acquisition. And before Trevor Story joined, before Trevor Story, the biggest name, as far as contract is concerned, was Jackie Bradley Jr. That's not a screaming vote of confidence. Cody, you want to add something? Are we, are we not going to consider Michael Waka in for for Bloom's additions? Absolutely throw him in. He got that signing right. Absolutely. That's, yeah. But, I mean, these are these are those those low millions uh, lottery tickets, we'll call them, for lack of better terms, um, you know, that, that he's willing to do because he was hamstrung with where Dombrowski left. Now, I will criticize the team – we were kind of on the fence. Do we go all in? Do we not? And we kind of sat on the fence even more and put ourselves in a, in a worse position, right? The trade deadline didn't really make us better, but it didn't set us up for the future. That to me was, was a paralyzing um, position to be in. And, and we just kind of prolonged our misery there. That was, that was incredibly frustrating to be as, as a fan, you know, cause you could have offloaded a lot of the contracts um, and potentially given yourself a little bit more flexibility for the future. Absolutely. I, I disagree with the way that Bloom handled that, but Maybe it's it's being a burned Florida State fan that's gone through two terrible coaches. Um, you know, you had Jimbo, the highs of that, and then you went to Willie, and now we have Mike Norbell. And you know, you're you're trying to rebuild so much, and you have to go through so much scorched earth and so much scar tissue to get back to to a point of being competitive. Maybe that's what we're seeing here here in Boston. Um, spending money necess- doesn't necessarily equate to wins, right? You look at the New York Yankees and. They say the same thing as, as we do, right? They're the New York Yankees. They spend money. Steinbrenner needs to open up the pocketbook. Cashman needs to spend the money. They spent millions upon millions, debatably billions, to make, to make zero World Series, right? They won it in 2009. They haven't been back since. Spending money isn't necessarily uh, the solution. I would say our most lucrative offseason we've ever had was in 2010 going into 2011 or 2011 going into 2012. Either way, we got Gonzalez and Crawford, and we spent all of that money and we had the collapse of, of the century at this point in time. Uh, I'm, I'm more willing to, to put ourselves in a position of flexibility. I like the way that um, sets us up for the future as opposed to going out and getting the star free agents and hoping that they can do it in Boston because it's not like playing in a different atmosphere. There is something to be said about the way that Fenway Park affects baseball players. So basically, here's my actual take. It's been different for Dombrowski in Philadelphia than it was compared to Boston. When he showed up to Boston, he had what appeared to be the Fort Knox of farm systems. We were a top two or three farm system at the time. And yeah, he blew it up and it's taken some time to replenish it. Now, a lot of those players he peddled off didn't really amount to anything anyway outside of maybe Yuan Moncada. And I guess Manuel Margot, who needed another six years to to break out after that trade. I guess it was four years, actually. But still, 
so, and then he goes to Philly. He doesn't have that farm system. He's not going to be wheeling and dealing as far as trades go for the most part. He inherited a team that already had uh, Bryce Harper, JT Romuto, Reese Hoskins, Gene Segura, and then some established pitchers and Zach Wheeler, Aaron Nola. And he supplemented them with Nick Castellanos, Kyle Schwarber, who's probably going to be, I don't know, top five or six MVP. Totally went off. How many home runs did he have? Was it 46? 46. I'm a good lip reader on the uh, Google Meet here. Um, so he he addressed the issues and he didn't. He didn't go in with this agenda to Philadelphia like, I'm going to blow this team up. I'm going to move some guys. That way I can make it my team and put my stamp on it. He did what was best for the city of Philadelphia, made made some moves into the lineup. He addressed some needs that they had. He was aggressive with the bullpen. He brought in Brad Hand, that Alvarado kid who, who pitched fairly well with uh, the Tampa Bay Rays. I don't recall off the top of my head if Robertson was already there. I don't think he was. Uh, David Robertson, I'm talking about. But he addressed the issues, and he did it with proven guys, guys that had a record of success. That's not what we've gotten with Hein Bloom. We've gotten a lot of scrap heap guys where we're simply hoping for the best. All these reclamation projects... And coming into 2022 specifically, Bloom didn't have any constraints. He could have spent money. He could have brought back Kyle Schwarber, which looks kind of dumb right now because you could have hid Schwarber in, in left field, moved Verdugo over to right. You wouldn't have had the Jackie Bradley misery that that we had. And then when JT walk, uh, JT, excuse me, JD Martinez walks this year. You slot Schwarber into your DH spot for three more years. And in a pinch, if you need him to go back to the outfield because an injury took place or perhaps first base, I think he would have got a little bit better at that position with a few more reps. The Red Sox would have been much better off having Kyle Schwarber. And and it was Dave Dombrowski outfoxing Heim Bloom. He outworked Heim Bloom. Had a much better had a much better off season, and they they had some drama along the way. You know, um, Girardi got fired from the Phillies, and they made a move there uh, in the month of June. But I, so I just I respect the fact that Dave Dombrowski addresses problems. And here's another thing I'll say about him: at the moment, there's not a long term a lot of long term money on the books for the Phillies. You got Harper for probably, what, nine or ten more years. You're going to have Schwarber for three more. You're going to have Castellanos, who didn't have the greatest of years, at least compared to the Silver Slugger years he he just had, which I think were two of them. Um, you know, he wasn't quite that robust this year, but still a, a solid guy to have in your lineup. And there's just not... He's the Phillies are not in payroll hell is what I'm talking about. So uh, it's it's going to be a fun organization for a while. They're going to have some tough decisions to make with Noah in the offseason. Another guy too, Dave Dombrowski went and got Noah Syndergaard. 
who wasn't pitching well in in LA in Anaheim and granted he's mostly been out of the bullpen except for one start in the Brave series where he did he went four innings recorded four strikeouts only gave up one run and then in the in the Padres series only had one and one-thirds uh innings of relief but didn't give up a run there so they're cautiously utilizing him but that could be a guy who could play a significant role in the World Series. I'm just with Hein Bloom, I'm just tired. I'm tired of the mediocre acquisitions for the most part. Michael Waka worked out pretty good. Kike Hernandez worked out pretty good in 2021. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you one more thing, and you guys can weigh in on this. If you're going to war, if you're going to go to war, over the course of a postseason, take the three best offensive players on each team. So with the Red Sox, that's probably Devers, Bogarts, and do you want to go JD or, or do you rather go Kike? <laughs> it's a wash at that point, I think. Put, you, you... put Kike in there, I guess. Um, so you, you got Devers, Bogarts, and Kike. And then on the other side, you've got Harper, Schwarber, and Reese Hoskins. You can stop after the first two. (laughs) See, it's like those are the guys I want to go to war with. I mean, with the Red Sox, they're they're kind of a bunch of – they're kind of wussy, you know? Bogarts needs his days off in the summer because baseball makes him tired. And um, Kike just – he is what he is. You know, you're you're asking – more than what you should be asking out of Kike. You should have a better outfield out there around him. And uh, so I'm just congratulations to Dave Dombrowski. And as the, as the Bluminati squirms because their guy couldn't get it done and their former guy (laughs) is going to go into the final series of the year. I think that's awesome. And I loved it when the final out got recorded, which, by the way, was a pop-up to Nick Castellanos, who's a terrible defender. He's a negative one war, but made a nice sliding catch. He That ended the series. The camera goes up to the luxury suites, and, and there's Dave Dombrowski with his hands in the air like Rocky Balboa, you know? And I'm like, man, that's, that's the image I want burned into the minds of the Bluminati because, man... All, all they do is defend Bloom on the dumbest of stuff, and I'll, I'll probably touch on that with our next topic. But I, I hope they have a miserable, uh, miserable world series. I, I might be. I thought I was going to be rooting for the Astros because I love Dusty Baker and Justin Verlander. As I'm going to say fifty times a season, is my favorite non-Red Sox player. But how can you not? How can you not want Dave Dombrowski to flip the bird to the to the Red Sox? I just it's it's so precious. I feel like we had to take Schwarber off off the plate though. I mean, yes, we didn't re-sign Schwarber here in Boston, but what was the reason he was in Boston to begin with? Who brought him here in the first place? Well, it was Bloom, but he, he, but, did, he didn't value. He just didn't value him the way Dave Dombrowski did, and then Schwarber ended up being 
above and beyond what even Dombrowski could have hoped for. And I, I don't know if, if Schwarber single-handedly could have saved our season, but I mean, we're a lot more robust and, and more I mean, balls. 43 tanks is 43 tanks. More Nobody's balls are going over the it. fence. Yeah. Just his presence in the, in the lineup, which probably would have been out of the one or two hole, you know, always on base for, for guys like Devers and, and bogey to, to drive them in. And JD was hot in the first half as far as, extra bases went but 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 it was Dombrowski who who recognized the the semi long-term value in in Schwarber and and not Hein Bloom is that that was where I was coming from that was an epic rant and I felt awful interjecting after you started because I feel like I was going to be echoing a lot of the same sentiments that you mentioned you mentioned both Bryce Harper and Kyle Schwarber against like our three best guys as far as like players, I just wouldn't want to fight or get into a an argument with. I feel like if you just put Kyle Schwarber up there with the bat, I'd be like, "Nah, it's cool. You win." <laughs> like that's it. Like that. That's Kyle Schwarber for you in in a hand basket. Forty six bombs. He hit two fifteen. What was his batting average this year? It, it was just over two hundred, like two ten, something like that. Wait, Schwarber. But, Schwarber, yeah, I think Schwarby hit like 215, 214, 217, something like that. He, oh, oh, 218, yeah. Yeah, he didn't have a good batting average, but he had such pop. Like, if he got a hold of one, you knew it. And each home run that he's hit so far in the playoffs, as soon as it leaves the bat, you know. There's no question. It's not a maybe home run. He doesn't have maybe home runs. Neither does Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper cracked one. It looked like it was going to be a flyout, pop-out, but only because it was Bryce Harper that I said, that's, that's going to be a home run. This team is just exciting to watch, and that moment where you're panning in on Dave Dombrowski, I mean, I'm, I'm biased against Philly because I went to school there for a year, and they couldn't do a damn thing when I was there. It was really frustrating being a Philly fan in Philly at that time because they just could not get out of their own way. And that was back when Ryan Howard was an absolute stud. That's how long ago that was. Um, This team could get a little more exciting next year. I don't necessarily think that Dave Dabrowski, I mean, and granted we, every GM, every baseball president operations accepts a job knowing there's about a 95% chance they will get fired. That cannot be your favorite team. The same thing as being a manager of baseball. Yes, congratulations. The, the, there are highs and there are lows. The highs can be really high and the lows can be really low. And believe me, Chaim Bloom is going to feel one of those very low lows. Alex Cora too, maybe, if they're not able to, to bring this team back up to new heights. And originally I was going to say, you know, Astros are probably going to win this in, in five games. But Terry, you... Damn it! I think you may have swayed me. It's it's going to be one of those exciting series. I, I think you want to say one more thing. This will be my final wrap on it. Uh, since the All Star break, Schwarber did hit two thirty two, so a little bit higher than his season average. His on base was ninety nine points above that, and he led the Phillies uh, in runs scored at thirty eight. So he did have a better second half. And I want to clarify one last thing on Dombrowski. His firing with the Red Sox was perfectly timed. He did make some mistakes, uh, namely the sale contract. I've never been in love with the Evaldi signing. We can debate all day long whether that worked out or it didn't quite work out. Um, 
mistakes were made and he wasn't going to rebuild the farm. So I thought it was perfectly fair. It's hard to argue he's made a ton of mistakes so far with Philly. He The Brandon Marsh trade, not popular because apparently he gave up one of his best prospects for him and the return on that trade hasn't been great. I'll be curious to see if he blossoms into uh, you know, more of a superstar, maybe a, a Reese Hoskins type type player offensively, but but not a ton of mistakes. So I I still think, despite the fact I, I thought Dave Dombrowski uh, deserved to be fired, and I'm on record. If you want to go back to our 2019 episodes, you'll hear me talking about that. But in in Philly, I, I think he's done a, an okay job, and, and it wasn't the most perfect of circumstances when he showed up. I'm, I'm going to say this to Brandon Marsh was the perfect addition because you've seen him become a much more, I think, valued member of this team. This is somebody who's only 24 years old. He does not have that much time in the bigs. They took a chance on him. It worked out. He's hitting almost, he had almost 300 for Philly this year before the playoffs came and he's doing his job in the playoffs too. Now that NLCS I didn't see him do too much, but he had a really important home run against Atlanta. And that was one of the things. These players are not booming all at the same time. They're they're having their moment. It's their moment. It will be remembered. I, I don't remember if he even got a hit against um, the Padres, but it did not matter. You know, Jose Altuve started off 0 for 24. You don't need to have a hit or memorable hits in every single game. It is what it is. And with that, we will slide into our second segment for tonight's uh, show. There's been a lot of buzz around one of the additions that joined the Red Sox, not for the first time, not for the second time, but for a third time. And father time looks like he's coming back for another season, maybe. So Rich Hill coming back to Boston, the buzz is on. Terry, do you have anything that you want to say about Rich coming back, man, you know, as we've said on, on recent episodes, the, the 2022 season was painful, just absolutely painful. And as it's winding down, one of the things I, I was telling myself, it was, thank God we're about to have no more Rich Hill. Thank God we're not going to have to deal with Rich Hill beyond this year and what what are the reports right now apparently rich hill this was a couple weeks ago so it was reported kind of late rich hill had lunch with some red sox executives it didn't exactly name which ones i don't know if bloom was there perhaps brian o'halloran was there um is it raquel ferreira i think is a is a big name in the front office but um they had lunch, and apparently there's mutual interest. That's what the beat writers are reporting. So I'm just, I'm just beside myself right now on the Rich Hill era might continue. Let me ask you guys a question here. What does, and this involves Rich Hill, what do 2010, 2011, 2012, 2015 and 2022 have in common. Those are the years Rich Hill pitched with us. Some of those were partial seasons, but those were the only years he was on our roster. What do all those years have in common? I can read them again wait, wait, if you say, want me to. Yeah, re read them again because I think I already know. All right. 2010, 2011, 2012, 2015, and 2022. 
weren't contenders. Not even close. We missed the playoffs all of those years. Yeah, we weren't contending. With Rich Hill on our roster. And we just had the Rich Hill experience at, at 42 years old. He'll turn 43 in spring training. I don't know what we're looking at here. Uh, I don't know where the value is. And the Bluminati, because they can't accept the fact that I'm Bloom got that one wrong. They want him to come back. So maybe they can flip the script a little bit and be like, see, I told you Rich Hill was a was a smart signing. They're going to be quick to point out that, oh, it's only for depth. Oh, he's just going to pitch out of the pen. I don't trust that because I had to listen to the Bluminati all last winter saying, oh, Bradley's just the fourth outfielder. Oh, they might even cut him because the prospects were so good. It was just for the prospects. I just, I don't trust Bloom in bringing him back. I mean, eventually we have to sign guys that are good, that are proven, that are going to are going to do their job so we can compete hopefully for a division here pretty soon. It sucks not being relevant. And I think signings like Rich Hill make us a lot less relevant. And he, he can't pitch at Fenway. I know you're going to hit us with the stats, Charlie, when you're up, but uh, that's a, that's a tough one. There's a lot to agree with there, right? Uh, you know, if if Rich Hill doesn't come back to Boston, I'll be the first one there to help him pack his bags. Um, yeah, as as a guy that tried to find some silver linings in the Red Sox season this year, uh, you know, I found myself watching a lot of games, thinking to myself, "What am I doing here?" Um, seeing Rich Hill as a probable starter really ruined my day. He he was brutal, um, top to bottom. I, I think he was pitched to us at the beginning as like a. He's going to be a front half guy, you know, when Paxton comes back, you know, Rich Hill might move to a long relief or a bullpen guy or whatever. Paxton never materialized. And then we had to deal with the whole second half of, of Rich Hill. It, it's, it's been terrible. There's no reason that we need to see this guy in, in the starting five ever again. I, I will say, you know, um, those endings had to be pitched. Somebody had to eat them and I'll always be grateful for him for doing that. But beyond just eating the endings, getting the game moving, it's hard to to say what you saw in him last year to say, hey, he could add value to this team. I, I'm really struggling to come up with anything to say positive. Um, and he also looks like he doesn't want to be on the mound. Every time you see him, every time the camera cuts to him, he looks like he's absolutely having the worst time when he's pitching. And, you know, it may be because he's giving up a four spot in the first inning and he hasn't gotten out yet. Or he can't locate that curveball that comes in at 65 miles an hour. I don't, I, I don't know what it is, but he doesn't look like he's having a good time. We're not having a good, a good time watching him. Get him off my team as, as soon as possible. So Terry already mentioned, you know, looking at his stats, I'm a numbers person. Uh, I live by the expression that numbers do not lie. People do. And these are the numbers for Rich Hill at home in 2022. 4.81 ERA with a 3 and 4 record in 12 starts. If your ERA is almost 5 at home, good god help us. His ERA away is one full run better. It's 3.80 and he was 5 and 3 away. I'm not going to go into the splits between days and nights because you can manipulate that if you want to. He was awful at Fenway. 
it was not pretty. There, there were very few times where Rich Hill would be listed as a starter. And I think any of us during the course of the season, any of us were like, oh, yeah, Rich Hill's going to win this start. When he won his start, unfortunately, there were a lot of games where it was like, crap, this sucks. We're, we're just not going to get it. And there were moments of brilliance, like early this year, pitching against Tampa Bay, striking out 11, went seven innings, I believe. And one of his last starts in the season, he faced Baltimore, struck out nine against them. So there have been pretty moments where he can turn the clock back. The problem is there were way too many games where he'd go four innings, three and a third innings, three and two thirds innings, and it'd be four runs allowed, five runs allowed, six runs allowed. And you're just like, are we trying or are we just putting somebody in there to just eat innings, as Cody mentioned earlier? There's no way that you can trot Rich Hill out there, and no disrespect to you, Rich, if you are listening to this. At 42 years old, unless you're pitching like you're a star, like Nolan Ryan, you're not a starter. And it's really hard to take a team seriously when they are trotting out a 42-year-old guy who has a pitch that registers as a super slow or really slow curveball on TV when he hits 66 or 67. And granted, albeit it's a, it's a fun pitch, but man, if you hang that thing, sayonara, that thing's not coming back down. It's, it's gone. So it's just, I think, not so much a reflection of Rich Hill as it was on our ownership of just not putting a quality team with proper starters. You can't start a regular season with five guys and say, we got our five. That does not work. You need to go into a regular season with seven starters minimum. Minimum. Because you know there's going to be at least one, maybe two, that get absolutely cracked or injured. So then your seven is down to five. And you need to get consistent work out of those cats in order to be relevant. Garrett Whitlock experiment did not work out. In the end, having him become a starter after being a reliever did not work. We're not going to be able to do the same thing with Rich Hill being a reliever to a starter back to a reliever. I don't want him to start another game at Fenway Park. I don't want him to start another game for the Boston Red Sox. And the only way that that's going to happen is if he doesn't come back. So if if we're bringing him back, it's because we're really not we're really not going to be taking it as serious as we said we were going to do uh, 2023. Cody, something you want to add? Oh, uh, so, I mean, and that's not going to be the only thing. I mean, the Red Sox, even before they were talking about signing Rich Hill, they were in the talks of signing other pitchers. They were talking about adding players again, giving players another year. And I, I don't think that's giving them the idea or mentality that the team is trying to be as competitive. Uh, Cody, I, I believe you want to say one more thing. Yeah, I accidentally unplugged my own headphones. Sorry about that. Uh, this is the only time in the history of being a fan of the Boston Red Sox that I'm pumped that we're the interest kings. We are always interested in signing with or we are always interested in talking to or we're always interested in trading for. I really hope that this is the case with Rich Hill and that we're just interested just to to get the talks going. The only the only problem is here, I don't know who else is interested, right? If we're the only one talking to him, chances are we're going to be the one with him at the end of the night as they as they say. So, here's here's the hoping that 
uh, somebody else, you know, either comes calling or, you know, maybe he rides off into the sunset. Also, real quick, Rich Hill commented recently that before his September turnaround, where he had like a 234 ERA, uh, in a month we had no pressure whatsoever because we knew we were out of it. Before he had that turnaround, he said that he was thinking about taking the first part of next year off and then signing during the summer and then pitching for a contender. So that's a guy who had serious self-doubt earlier in the year. And if you go back to the months here, a 5.75 ERA in July, 4.74 ERA in the month of August, things weren't going well. And, and that's when he, he figured, you know, it, it's going to be tough for me to land a job. Uh, you know, for, for a full season and why we're going to be the dummies that do it is just, it's just completely mind boggling. And it's, it's just more of the same mediocrity. Now maybe bloom surprises us and makes a trade or makes a surprise signing. And then at that point, fair enough. Uh, another thing too, I, I don't really want to get into this too much, but cause it, it, it's going to be a lengthy topic for another show. But there's rumors that he might trade Alex Verdugo. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, so you want to you wanna make us weaker out there? You want to add another bum, essentially? Not that I don't love Rich Hill, but another guy who's not going to produce any rotation. It's just, it's just more insanity for me. Like, I don't understand the mindset. And you look at the Blue Jays, who made a lot of good moves and, quite frankly, underachieved a little bit, but... You look at the Blue Jays, you look at the Rays, who are always in the playoffs the last several years. You look at the Orioles, who took a huge step forward this year. Bloom, in his own division, is probably the number four ranked GM, I would say. Behind only Andrew Cashman, Brian Cashman, excuse me. Um, You know, and so it's just... I, I hate that Heim Bloom has put me in a position where I have to hate on Rich Hill. That's just that's just brutal. So it's it's gonna be an interesting off season. Uh I think this is gonna be an off season that I look forward to um even more so than twenty twenty one going into twenty twenty two. Uh the Red Sox did better last year that we did this year and uh we didn't make as many additions as, uh, as i thought we were going to make um granted we we finished with that cherry on the top signing of of uh trevor story and that was that was the last big one um as far as big names to join and as far as big names are concerned our third topic this evening is aaron judge and with aaron judge is it possible that Aaron Judge played his last game in pinstripes in New York. Terry, would you like to weigh in first? I steadfastly believe he's going to go to the Mets. I've said that recently. I, I know San Francisco is a popular uh, destination uh, prediction amongst MLB fans because that's where he's from and they have the money and um, – they should be competitive, you know. Pretty soon, they did win 107 games in in 2021, but um, 
as far as the Bronx go, that organization is a mess. It's an absolute mess. And if you're Aaron Judge, you've lost to the Astros three times in your tenure there in the playoffs. They've knocked you out three times. The Boston Red Sox have knocked you out two times. You're 0-5 against your two biggest rivals. Eventually, he's got to get sick of losing. And all is quiet in the Bronx right now. I was anticipating some news today. You know, perhaps Boone gets fired. Perhaps Brian Cashman finally gets fired. He's been the GM there for over 20 years. Like Steinbrenner was still very much an active owner while Cashman was the the GM. And I'm sure at that point, Cashman is just delegating what Steinbrenner wants. But but, um, Cashman's also the one that was delegating offers that were somewhat lowball against Aaron Judge. I think the, the final offer, which included this year's arbitration three figure uh you know that combined with the offer was like 233 million and i know judge is he he was coming into his age 30 season so he's not like the youngest pending free agent out there like machado and harper were i think they were like 27 when they hit free agency but but what i'm getting at is why why would Aaron Judge want to play for a manager he lacks confidence in? And why would he want to continue to play for a guy who lowballed him, who continues to put flawed teams on the field that don't even come close to winning championships? So I I don't think I don't think Aaron Judge lives and dies by the Yankees. I, I think he's very open-minded to a fresher start somewhere else and, you know, putting himself in a better position to win a championship. As much as it bums me to say, I, I do think that he's played his last game as a Yankee. Uh, you know, we've heard talk uh, about, his his extended contract with Cashman, you know, he gave them every opportunity to sign him long term. He loved being in pinstripes, but now he's a free agent and we'll see what happens. Um, the reason I say that it bums me out to, to see him potentially leave is he's only empty calories. He's a regular season warrior, right? You know, we saw him hit 62 bombs this year. He's he's a great regular season player, but in the postseason, he just does not produce, right? It started in 2018. You know, they went one and one in Fenway. He brought out the boom box. They were playing, started spreading the news. They were doing the whole dance. And then they promptly got beaten worse than any other team in postseason history. Brock Holt hit for the cycle. This guy is a proven loser. He is yet to win a single thing except for the home run title. Um, is that a guy that I would love to see the Yankees spend half a billion dollars on? you know, absolutely hamstring them as a franchise, a hundred percent. It would be great for us as, as a Red Sox franchise to see Cashman open up the wallet, Steinbrenner back up the Brinks truck to, to lock up judge to a long-term deal that absolutely ruins them as a franchise. The guy is, is likable. I root for him as a Red Sox fan, which is really weird because you don't really want to find yourself rooting for somebody in the pinstripes. 
But the fact that he just does not show up when the lights are the brightest, I think, is is a part of it for us as as Sox fans as well. You know, does he end up in the Giants? Does he end up in the Mets? Does he end up, you know, on the Cardinals or the Angels? Who knows at this point? Well, time will tell. But um, I don't think it's going to be the Yankees. And, you know, at this point in time, it's, it's a win-win for the Red Sox. Either he's out of the division and we don't have to face him, which is great, or he's in the division and he doesn't hit out of a paper bag when it matters. We're, we're in the catbird seat. So you both brought up some really, really good points. It was weird seeing Mookie Betts in, the, in a Yankees uniform for this series because that's what it felt like when, as Cody mentioned, the light was the brightest, there wasn't any performance. You know who outdid him in the playoffs? Harrison We've talked about a lot. Bader. We haven't talked about him, and he's another name that's going to be an interesting one in the offseason. Kyle Schwarber, who's going to be getting probably half of what Aaron Judge is going to be making in his next contract. There were a lot of key takeaways from, from an article that posted recently. Some of his teammates mentioned how uh, disappointed they would be. They'd be upset if he didn't give them uh, a chance. Kyle Schwarber did much better than he did. Aaron Judge is just a postseason bust. He just cannot hack it. And no one knows, as far as a franchise goes, no one knows that better than the Red Sox fans because when you have a generational talent not performing the playoffs, it's kind of hard to forget. He turned down a seven-year, $213.5 million deal before opening day. He said, nope, not enough money. And thank God he did that because then he went on to set the record for the American League home run record, breaking a 61-year record by another Yankee, Roger Maris. He's mentioning that it's going to go through his agent. He wants to continue wearing the Yankee pinstripes and has also mentioned it's been an honor. It's been a privilege. We couldn't have done anything, you know, beforehand. I'm not sure what's going to happen. We're just going to see what happens. If I'm hearing that as a Yankees fan, holy crap, because they are going to have to, as again, Cody mentioned, back up the Brinks truck and let the money keep flowing. It's going to take over $400 million to keep Aaron Judge in New York. Are the Yankees going to be able to do that? They have a $300 plus million deal with Stanton. They have a $300 plus million deal with Garrett Cole. You have a plethora of other players that's got stupid deals that are going to completely limit this team from being able to stay under any threshold. This team is literally buying wins right now by overpaying to get people to perform. This team had a former superstar closer literally say, if you're not going to promise me a spot, I'm not going. And the response was, yeah, don't come. Do I think that Geraldus Chapman could have maybe made a difference in the playoffs? I don't know. I think he could have potentially been better than some of the other options that they were trotting out there, even though he's had better moments in time, better years, because this, I want to say, is a statistical anomaly. I don't think that this is going to be the future of Geraldus Chapman. He's, he's too talented 
not be able to locate that pitch, even if he has to find another one. I'm I'm going to be curious to see where Judge goes. But Terry already mentioned he thinks he's going to go to the Mets. He's not leaving New York. He's going to stay in New York. And I know I've said in the past, I think it's possible that he's not leaving New York. He's going to go to the Mets as well. It wouldn't surprise me to see him go to the Giants. The Giants would be uh, uh, um, an obvious contender for him to go to. They don't have any huge marquee players that gives the Giants an opportunity to do something different with that team and make him the face of the franchise for the next decade if they want. If the Yankees were to offer Aaron Judge a record-breaking contract, there's no way that this team is going to be relevant in four years. Years four, five, six, seven, eight, nine from right now, the Yankees will at best be a third-place team, second-place team, unless they have ridiculous success with all rookies. And that's not going to happen on a regular basis. So you're basically playing pray, pray, pray. He's willing to take a hometown or a discount with the Yankees. He's not. And the question has also been posed. What would it be like to, could you picture yourself play in Boston? What do you think it would be like to play in front of Red Sox fans? And the response was, they've got some great fans in Boston. Nothing would say middle finger to New York more than having Aaron Judge sign here. The caveat is, if you sign Aaron Judge and you don't sign the other players that we probably should be signing, I think that still sends a bad message, which is why Aaron Judge won't be coming to Boston. So Mets, solid pick. Giants, as we've had a couple people mention, solid pick. Him going back to New York, though, I just don't see it happening. Not anymore. I think if at a minimum Boone gets fired and, and and if Cashman definitely does, I think that would suddenly, you know, elevate the chances of him staying in in New York. But here's the thing as well. You can't have the next GM come in and, and blow it up because now, I mean, an average rebuild is what, four or five years for a big market team? So your judge is like 35, 36 years old by then. You're wasting the life of that, you know, extension that you're going to give him, you know, at least the prime part of it. So I just crunched a number like, I, you know, a couple times a week. I'm like, well, what is he going to get? What, what's his value? Like, what's the team that wins the bidding war? What are they ultimately going to pay? Aaron Judge. Charlie, what's a number you would think? Now, this is going into his age 31 season, so take that into account. What do I think he's going to get if he were to go back to New York? What's his ultimate final deal that he ultimately accepts going to be, regardless of who gives it to him? Uh, he's going to ask for $40 million per. He's going to ask for a minimum of 10 years. It wouldn't surprise me to see him get something in the line of 11 years, 430, 11 years, 440 million. Wow. You're, I don't think it'll go quite that high. <laughs> you could be I right. Maybe would, I would fire the GM that gave him 11 years. <laughs> yeah. Is it not? You mean to tell me that giving Garrett Cole nine years was a smart move? That was the dumbest thing I'd ever seen. Corey Seager just got something insane. It would not surprise me if they, literally gave him whatever if if he thinks he's getting 
if a team is thinking he's going to get 30 million, that's not happening. You're going to have to sign him to for a $400 million deal. I don't think you need to give him that many years. I agree that the AAV needs to be higher than 30, but you're looking at a guy that's on the wrong side of 30 that has had injuries throughout his career. I think if you front load a contract with guaranteed money and you maybe go seven or eight for, you could even go up to 280, you know, you can give him that 40 that, that you were mentioning. I think he absolutely is going to request that and try to command that out of the market if he can get it. I just don't think any team is going to be willing to give a guy a deal into the, into the into their forties. I mean, we've seen it with Pujols, short of the St. Louis Magic. He he fell off a table, and that guy was the machine. That was literally his nickname. He was a three hundred forty and one twenty guy. You lock it in every year, and it just didn't happen. Well, he, he, I I think Charlie's high, but I'm not. I don't think it's. I'm not going to sit here and say, well, he he's definitely not getting that. Um, before I give my figure. Since you mentioned Pujols, and I, I've said this on the the podcast uh, at least a couple of times, here's how the negotiations went with Art, Artie Moreno, who's the owner of the Angels. This is literally how the, the negotiations went. I think it was at the winter meetings of whatever year it was, 2012 maybe, 2011, 2012. Pujols' agent, no, excuse me, Moreno goes up to Pujols' agent and says, hey, how you doing? So do you think uh, Albert would take $160 million over, uh, I think it was like eight years? And uh, the agent goes, well, you know, that's a very generous offer, but, you know, I would have to consult with, with Albert before, you know, we decided on that. So Moreno instantly fires back just right away the next second and goes, well, how about $200 million? You, do you think do you think Albert would would take that? So he increased it by forty million, and the agent, being a professional, goes, "Well, you know, I really need to, you know, talk to Albert about that. I I can't really make that decision." And then Moreno immediately fires back. He goes, "Well, what about two hundred and forty million? Is that you know closer to the ballpark? That's ultimately what Albert signed for." <laughs> So and that was a 10-year deal because it was 24 per, and um, it was insane. And that was a big contract for 2012. It's gotten far more insane than that. But here's where I think Judge ultimately ends up. I think it's going to be a nine-year deal, and the previous offer topped out at eight. So I think it's going to be an extra year beyond that. And I think it's it's going to be 35 per which makes him the second or third highest annually uh, in, in MLB. So that's $35 million per year for nine years. That's $315 million, about $80 million more than what uh, he was previously offered. So that's about where I'm going. I'm pretty good at this. Like I'm pretty good at identifying value. I'm usually in the ballpark. A good recent example was Erod. I said five years at 75. I, I think it came out to five years at 72, 73. So pretty close there. I could be wrong because if this ends up like an intense bidding war between Cohen and, and Steinbrenner, then, then maybe that's how you get to Charlie's figure. But 
I'm I I ge- I genuinely don't know how he is going to accept any less than 38 or 39 per. I don't know how. It's going to be humming 400 million. He is going to ask for everything. And I, New York is saying they'll give him the keys. Well, show him the keys. Give him the keys. I don't, I don't disagree think- that it's at least the negotiations are going to start in in the 400 range. If he ends at ten and four hundred million, Cody, I want a signed apology. <laughs> so, Charlie, you were right. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I I'm just, just kidding. I just hope it comes from Steinbrenner. Then <laughs> yeah. I would, I would, I would, I will mail you a letter. I will do whatever it takes <laughs> if it's ten four hundred from the Yankees. I mean, There's that no would be tremendous. Has, there's no one else has more fun than we do. That, that, that that's just fact. Uh, we Here's have so much fun. Here. Another thing to consider, real quick. Stanton will enter 2023 in his age 33 season. And he has his guaranteed part of his deal takes him through 2027. So that's his age 37 season. So is that five years? Yes. Five years. There's a team option uh, for 2028 with a $10 million buyout. It looks like the Marlins would actually have to pick up that buyout. So what a terrible deal they made. Um, but that that Stanton thing kind of complicates Judge, I mean, who will eventually need to be a DH. So we'll see. We'll see how that goes. But what? That's about all I got on Judge. Cool. Well, uh, Cody, is, is there anything else that you want to add on that? I mean, if I had to pick between Stanton or Judge at this point in time, I'm I'm taking Stanton. I know that he's been injury prone. I mean, so has Judge. But at this point, when it matters, when your team has come up short the past, I don't know, uh, 21 of the last 22 years, Stanton's been one of the few guys that have produced. That deal doesn't look as bad as it did as as people like to make mention of during the regular season. I mean, he single-handedly won them the division series. Um, he was the reason that they were competitive in any of the games in, in the championship series. Yeah. People like to crap on the guy. I, I don't know. Couldn't be me. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, I think that's going to do it for tonight. I want to thank you both Terry and Cody. Thank you so much for joining and to all of our dedicated fans. Thank you. Enjoy. Have a great night. Take care.